Welcome to the Focus Today podcast with Perry Atkinson. Welcome back. I'm always uh, honored when we have the time to talk to our good friend Wallace Henley, former pastor, daily newspaper editor, uh, worked in the White House during the uh, Nixon administration, congressional aide, served 18 years as a teaching pastor there at the Houston Second Baptist Church. He's the author and co-author of over 25 books. A lot of them are just outstanding. And of course, the one that's so timely now is Who Will Rule the Coming Gods? The Looming Spiritual Crises of Artificial Intelligence. And let me tell you, that's a must read. So check it out online, Who Will Rule the Coming Gods by Wallace Henley. Hey, buddy. Good to see you. How are you? Well, it's a pleasure to see you. Thank you. You bet. You know, in promoting you earlier this morning during the news segment, I thought I got to thinking about it. You were in the Nixon White House, and here we are now with the Biden presidency. You have seen a lot of presidents come and go. Um <laughs> Maybe you have some comments on that. But now we're dealing with the president. Uh, today was an amazing day. I watched the president meet the king, King Charles III over there. They were coming together today. And I'm watching this event. And with all due respect, Wallace, we have a president that is dangerously incapacitated. Dangerously incapacitated. I don't know what's going on here, and I don't know why we're not blowing the whistle. But you wrote about this. Should there be an age limit on the presidency? Well, yeah, in that article, I talked about the fact that I'm 81 years old and I'm not going to run for president. Uh, I wasn't anyway, but but nevertheless, 81 years old, I would not even think about it because there's some things that go on in, in, in your 81 year old head uh, that uh, doesn't work as fast as it used to. There are freezes, brain freezes, and I've seen that very much in the president. And other types of things that go on. Uh, thing you could be walking down a hall and, and wonder, what, now where was I going? Why was I doing this? And it's, it's a strange, strange thing. I, I sailed through the seventies, and um, then the eighties. Bam! I ran up against a wall, and all these things began to happen. Now that may be true, just me, and I'm sure Mr. Biden is not experiencing. Wait a minute, he's experiencing all of those things because I've seen it. The nation has seen it. The world has seen it. Seen it. And I'm concerned that we have two old guys. We have two old guys, not one, but two, who are running for the presidency. And I think that somehow, uh, I'm not sure how the Congress should, should behave in this, because that might be a violation of the executive branch. So it could be a long time to work through it. But right now, we need to be very concerned, and voters need to take this into very serious consideration. Okay, uh, they will. Uh, but how vulnerably are we here? I mean, uh, I saw an article over the weekend even where uh, Dr. Ben Carson has uh, weighed in on this and say, wait a minute, this has serious signs of problems. It, it has serious signs about it. And what uh, counts very much at this point in time is the quality of the people who are surrounding the president. And from everything that I can see, and I'm sure that many would agree with this, uh, he's surrounded by people who may not be telling him the truth all the time. I'm, I'm a blessed man because I have a wife who will tell me the truth. And you've got to have somebody like that in your life that you really trust. And so he's got to have those kinds of aids. What happens at that level, when you get into the White House, many years ago, I wrote a little book after I came out of the White House. Um, and I talked about how, how information comes into the White House and how it's distorted, like it was going through a prism 
and you get outside the White House. I was traveling all the time making speeches, and I could see this. When you get outside the White House, you see that the way you perceive reality inside the White House is completely different from the way it really is. And you have to get out there and understand that, and you have to have aides who are in touch enough with the culture that they're not just trying to uh, prompt themselves into higher and higher offices, and they'll tell the president the truth. Mr. President, you should not come down these, these airplane steps. Mr. President, you should not accept that invitation. Well, I, I guess we just got our brains on tilt here. We're watching something that is so obvious. Uh, we don't know what to do. The citizens don't know what to do. Uh, I can't help but think that our enemies around the world are going to take advantage of this. I mean, we're in a real pickle here. They already have. I read a piece this morning, probably in your papers, too, and, you know, or whatever, how people get their news. But I saw a piece this morning about the fact that we're running out of, of our, our tactical weapons. Uh, we're expending them. Well, we'll, just at a time when the, when the totalitarian nations are, are beginning to speed up, they see what's happening, they sniff the wind, they understand what's happening, and they will, some of them will try to move at some point. And I think this is the dangerous thing. Quite honestly, they would not move uh, before the election, because that might endanger the election of Biden. But I suspect that if he's elected after his election, uh, they will they will move in some way to try to try to, try to corral the United States. Um, is there any example biblically of elder leaders and what should be done? Well, the Bible admonishes two things about elderly leaders. Um, it it's, has a lot to say about the kind of people I've just talked about, the kind of people who surround and advise those leaders. But also, it has to it, it has a lot to say about respect uh, for for those who are older. I'm writing a book right now on the joys of aging, and and there are joys in aging. But uh, when when a person is aging, they've got to have those people, as I just said, who will tell them the truth and look them in the eye that they trust. And so I suspect that we're in a very dangerous, dangerous period of time. Um, let me stay at the White House just for a moment. The, the other story that's so kind of got our brains on tilt, <laughs> I, I don't even want to talk about this, but you've been there, you've done that, maybe you can give us an insight. But cocaine's found inside the White House. And so what else? where it was found is different from what was first mentioned. And when you start pulling the onion skin back on this thing, you've got to ask yourself the question, how in the world did this happen? This isn't TSA, you getting on an airplane. You're going to the White House, the presidency of the United States. How did this happen, Coach? Well, I think one of the ways it happens is that there are about seven to 600 to 700 uh, cocktail parties in Washington every evening at this embassy and that embassy. And when I was on the staff and, and those of us who, even junior people on the staff, um, we were told, you know, you got to go to this one, you got to go to that one, and so forth. And you start sipping, and the next thing you know, you've got too much in you, and it begins to build, and, and your defenses begin to come down, and you begin to get used to being addicted to some kind of stimulation uh, outside the, your head and your, your your heart, which is pretty well gone out of function at that point. And so you're 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 sort of conditioned to, to this kind of lifestyle. So I'm not surprised. But also, what happens is that you believe that you're untouchable inside those grounds. When you walk in those grounds, and I've got a couple of passes that I used to have to show every time I went in there, and always the pass that you, you crave is the one that gets you all the way to the Oval Office. And it took me about a year to get that pass. 
But once you get in there, you feel yourself so ensconced in all of this security and all of this, all these people guarding every word that's spoken out of your mouth and watching every word. You begin to, to, to relax too much and you forget how to conduct yourself. Another problem that we've lost in our culture is, is the sense of pride, good pride, in being, being dressed well and being uh, having having our thinking go well, all of these kinds of things that have been present in the past, long-distance past, we've lost through the years. We've got to recover that. That's a cultural issue. Given that, do you think there will ever be a return to statesmanship, true statesmanship within public service? I think not. I think as long as we have the control of, of a person's destiny, a politician's destiny, resting on how cute he or she can be and the things they say, and how adversarial they can be against those that they're running against, and how much they can get the um, get the camera in their face saying uh, good, really good sound bites. I think as long as those kinds of things dominate our culture, we're not going to see any change in it. Well, oh, you got any good news this morning, Wallace? <laughs> <laughs> every every time I write about this in the Christian Post or wherever else I'm writing, every time I write about this and talk about the need to return. Uh, I look to the letters to the editor, editors, and lo and behold, there are people who say, Henley just wants the past. He just wants the past. Well, yes, I do, as a matter of fact. And I know the past was very imperfect. I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, my wife and I tremble when we think about what segregation was like in those days. So it wasn't all, all wonderful. But there was a need in that hour for change, and the change began to take place. There's a need in, in this hour for the churches, the churches to recover the word of transcendence. I hammer this all the time. God's transcendence. I'm accountable to God for the gifts he's given to me and the doors he's opened to me. I'm accountable to him. I will give an account when I stand before his throne. We've got to return to that message. The churches have become, my, my, the column that will appear this week in Christian Post on Wednesday is the problem of the what I call the grunge church, where the culture has taken over and modeled how the how the how the even the praise leaders should lead lead praise and worship, and we've we've lost that beauty that was once that what recognized the transcendent God. We've lost that. We've got to return to that. It's not just about God who takes care of me and gets me uh, cures my headaches and gets me new uh, hamburgers, a new style of hamburger. It's about God who is above us all, and that every person in power, especially, should give an account to themselves for themselves before God and live with an awareness of this coming up. Amen. I want to come back to something you've written about a lot, and that is corporate America. It's one of the five groups that you talk about, uh, and, and its impact into the culture. Um, are you amazed that corporate America continues to go down the, world, the road of embracing wokeness, even at the cost of billions of dollars? Well, understand that what all of these eight, all these five institutions that I talk about, what they're after is credibility. They want to be respected. They want to be the top leaders. Look, we're, we're, the, we're leaders in change. So you see an ice cream company up in Vermont who says we need to give the Indians back the land that we took from them. Our factories are. Oh, by the way, it, it, it applies to us. They found out rather rudely when the Indians said, OK, let's start with the land your business is on. Yeah, right. Well, the corporate culture tries to tries to feel what the what the public wants 
and they will do anything. So if the public wants us all hanged, they'll hang a few of us so they, they can get people through their doors and say, we're relevant, we're woke, we know what's happening. But, but um, you have, uh, what is it, $18 billion from Bud Light and pushing $12 billion from Target. I, I, I haven't found one corporation, uh, Wallace, that has embraced wokeness. Look at Disney. Disney is now in a spiral. Um, at what point do they realize they just did something crazy? I think this is the, 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 the hypnosis of the, of the corporate culture's leadership, eager to show that I'm the best. We're, we're on the edge of change. We're the very best to, to bring about this change. And we want to promote it in every way we can. So we'll sell you shoes that, that may have the F word on them. We'll, we'll sell you a T-shirt that says unholy. But we will do all of these things. If you'll just like us, please like us. Please, please like us. That's what I hear from all of these leaders, so-called corporate modules. That's amazing. All right, let me take a quick break. Uh, Wallace Henley's with us. Always honored to have him. You have to check out his latest book because it's spot on. There's no question about it that the Lord lead him led him, excuse me, to write this book, Who Will Rule the Coming Gods, has all to do with artificial intelligence. There's a picture of the cover of the book on the screen. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. We'll be back to this week's interview in just a few seconds. In the meantime, we want to let you know that you can watch this interview, plus many more exclusive interviews that happen this week on the Dove's daily TV and radio show by visiting our website, thedove.us. And while you're there, sign up for our free daily devotional, The Word for You Today. Three months of daily readings that will connect you with God's Word. Now, back to the show. Wallace Henley's with us, and uh, of course, his latest book is a must-read, Who Will Control the Coming Gods, and uh, deals with artificial intelligence. He also writes for the uh, Christian Post, and you can see a lot of his articles there, uh, of which uh, earlier in June, you wrote an article entitled Fading Churches and Institutions, Memories of the Southwestern Baptist Theological uh, Seminary. I want you to comment on that, but let me just add a little comment myself. Isn't it interesting that in the last two years, now I, I think it's 18, it could be more, major denominations have split right down the middle. Um, they first split over wokeness, and in particular the LBGDQ recognition. Now they're splitting over theological lines. What's going on, Coach? Well, I think what's going on is that we're living in a very strategic age that Jesus talked about in Matthew 24, uh, the, the age um, of, of the, the, that precedes his coming. Uh, it is, is an age when, when, we're abandoned, when we're seeing even, even people like the, the Archbishop of York saying that the Father needs to go from the Lord's Prayer. So we're seeing a breakdown. We're, we're seeing what was inevitable, which is the falling away. Jesus himself said this in Matthew 24. That's what's happening, and and it's 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 so intense that it's that we it's got our attention. We're seeing it happening in our front doors, and that was my point in the article that I wrote about Southwestern Seminary. What's happening there? In 1964, way back there, I was a very excited student to come to Fort Worth, Texas, from Birmingham, 
and to enroll as a student in that school, and I fell in love with it. The teaching was dynamic. The, the, the passion was dynamic for Christ and the kingdom of God, and I was so glad to be part of that seminary. I was pastor, uh, one of the staff pastors at Travis Avenue Baptist Church, which was close by. Even named our son after that church, Travis Avenue. So it was a whole complex for me of the best of the churches in our denomination at that time, the best of the seminaries. It was the largest of all Southern Baptist seminaries. And so for years, when I would go to Fort Worth, I would drive out there and I'd just walk across that campus. I'd get re-energized when I walked across that campus. But in recent years, I go there frequently because I have family that lives in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And in recent years, as I've gone up there, I've just found that, that all of that energy seems to be sapped up. It, it seems to have leaked out. Used to, when I would walk on the campus, you, you, you couldn't find a parking place when you'd go in. Now you can just park at any place you want to, and you see a few people, uh, a few people, and a few people. So it occurred to me, maybe this is a reflection of what is happening, not only in Southwestern Seminary, but in seminaries across the world. And if that's the case, then those student uh, numbers going down, down, down speak something very profound about the future. Where's leadership coming from? What kind of training will they have? But as I walked across the southwestern campus, I would see fewer and fewer people in those in those buildings and moving around. And I would just go into each one of them and remember the days when it was booming, but now just very sparse. And that uh, is the, the the sound that I want to I want to somehow ch- ring the bell. I want to ring uh, is is about what this reflects and what it says about the whole of evangelical Christianity across the world as well as our nation. That's uh, that's an alarming insight um, because if we're not producing leaders, oof, it's our future. Let me ask you a bigger question: What's happening with SBA these days? They seem they just can't get along. What's going on? The Southern Baptist Convention. Well, the the issue now, great issue now, of course, is women in the pulpit, women as pastors, and this came about when a big church out in California. Uh, ordained a woman, and so when the Southern Baptist Convention met in June, um, there was there was there were recommendations uh, made that that uh, this church be disenfranchised, if you will, from a Southern Baptist Convention, and so that big debate is going on now. Can we uh, can we can we ordain women or not? Where do you think it's going to go? I think it'll it, it, it at the convention uh, in June. It went in the direction of the conservatives who say no, and so consequently. Uh, the church in California is no longer a Southern Baptist church, and there are other churches that are in that same category because they want to ordain women. And is, is the ordination of women to the pastorate or into other services within the church? Well, primarily the pastorate, but but there are churches who have well, excuse me. There are churches that have women who are who are pastors internally, like children's pastor, youth pastor, and so forth. Uh, the real debate here was over women being senior pastors, mm-hmm. although I think there would be a, a hesitancy uh, on the part of the, of the more conservative fas- uh, factions to include those internally as well. You can't you, you call them pastor. But I came from Second Baptist Church, which has a tremendous, uh, well, it's, it's the, probably the largest Southern Baptist church in America, 80,000 plus members. And Dr. Young is a very conservative man. Ed Young is a very conservative man. But we, some of our strongest leaders were, were women inside that church. We would not ordain a woman as, as a pastor of, of the whole of the church. But those women were set apart, and rec- their gifts were recognized, and they, they were in leadership positions. 
So to that point, I'm just wondering, the only reason I'm staying on this is because it's in the news a lot. Why can't they settle on that? Why can't they settle on um, the, it sounds like it's a somatical problem because if, if it, women can serve at any other level within the church, why can't that be recognized? Well, because I, I think one of the reasons, and here I'm, I'm cynical and I apologize for being cynical, but it's because power has gotten into the, into the argument. And it, that, ha, that has dominated the convention all the way back to the 1980s. Um, I spent two terms as president of the Alabama Baptist State Convention. I tell people that I was the Pope of Alabama because there's so many Baptists over there that if you're the president of the Baptist, man, you're the Pope. And <laughs> power comes into play in these things. And you have factions. I mean, you have political factions. And it will be that way as long as we're organized as we are, disorganized as we are, whatever the case may be. It's still a power game. So it's the conservatives against the liberals. This time, it's women in the pulpit, women being ordained. And that will go on and on until maybe the next convention, which finds another power issue, and then the focus will go off that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, Pope Wallace, I, I got a couple of other quick <laughs> questions for you. In spite of all of these issues, and there's a lot here, I mean, from what's happening to the presidency and the age to corporate America, divisions within denominations, there seems to be a underground, if not almost silent revival going on. We're hearing from people that are genuinely hungry for a relationship with Christ, others renewing their relationship. Do you sense and smell it as well? Oh, this is the sweet side of all this. And one of the things that happens in, in that revival movement is that pastors get challenged because people are drawn off into these movements. They want revival and they talk about revival, but people are, are drawn off into those movements and it makes them very nervous. So how can, how can, we, how can we get on top of this? How can we manage this? Um, and, and the tragedy is that when that happens, then the re revival spirit is snuffed out. I wrote another book on the Welsh revival mm. um, titled Call Down Light. And in that book, I, challenge, I, I, I talk about how the church, the, the revivals did not start in the churches. They started in the coal mines of, of Wales and, and other places like that and came to the extent that, that even sports teams could not have a place to play because revival meetings were going on in their stadia. So, so that's what happens when, we, when you have a real spirit movement revival. But let 10 or 20 people gather together around some cause. Let, let somebody burp or somebody have a hiccup. And there's a whole new movement that's created out of this. And as long as that goes on, this will continue. So we need to pray for genuine revival, which starts in the hearts of all the people, including the leaders, not who are just looking how we can build a better institution, but how we can let God come into this place and wash us out and revive us again. George Barna, I have him on the show a lot, and he comments on uh, the fact that uh, <clears throat> there seems to be a, a, um, a seeking among pastors for a transcendent renewal. Now, this is based upon the fact that we've gone from 6% to 4% of a biblical worldview in America. Um, I only got 30 seconds. What's your comment on that? Well, number one, just decide that you're not going in there to try to organize this thing. You're going in there to try to be part of it and to allow your church to be part of it. Okay, that's good stuff. Well, folks, let me uh, encourage you, as always, check out uh, Wallace's uh, writings, his book called uh, Who Will Rule the C Coming Gods. That deals with uh, artificial intelligence. He did uh, mention the book Call Down Lightning. I highly recommend that book. 
Uh, I've read it uh, one and a half times. <laughs> I wrote it with one and a half brains. <laughs> well, then I got the whole message. <laughs> no, it's, it's great because I also have read several times The Intercessor, which kind of does the same period of time as it relates to the Welsh Revival. So I would certainly encourage you to, to do that. And then the other book that kind of brings it all into focus for me is A Globequake, where he takes all of these various factors in our culture and puts it in order. You may want to check that out as well. Thank you, buddy. Good to see you. God bless you. And uh, uh, I'll just say it one more time. Nice to have you on, Pope Wallace. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this week's Focus Today podcast. Remember, you can visit our website to check out all the interviews we did this week on our daily Focus Today TV show at the Dove.us. And if you like this podcast, please take a moment to rate us and share it with your friends.